Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. Hello, we're back with part two of our coverage of Empress Sissy of Austria. We do want to give you a little content warning, heads up. There is some discussion about suicide and there is the death of a child in this episode. So if you have little ears around, you might want to preview it before letting them listen. So let's just recap where we are. A 15-year-old Bavarian princess with an outdoorsy, laid-back life got switched with her sister for a betrothal to the 23-year-old emperor of Austria. Goodbye, country life. Hello, strict Viennese court. Now, empressing wasn't all dreamy fairy tale stuff. It's being on all the time. It's being watched. It's being controlled by your very politically motivated and disapproving mother-in-law, Aunt Sophie. But Sissy had given birth to two daughters in the first couple of years, but she was miserable in Vienna. Upon returning from a successful diplomatic mission to Italy, Sissy was greeted with a reminder that the job one of an empress was to produce a male heir, and if she didn't, she was expendable. Okay, so that note, carefully pulled from the archives where it was once used against a teenage Marie Antoinette, upset Sissy so badly, and she started to become paranoid. Who left this? Was it a popular feeling around court. She had had two children and as many years. What more did they want? She couldn't wish upon a star and make them boys. She hated to destroy FJ. Remember, we're calling Franz Joseph FJ. Uh, she hated to destroy her husband's triumph by going to him with this in case he felt that way too. Now, I think I myself can safely say he did not. His wife was 18. You know, their relationship was sure to bring decades more fruit. Not to put too fine a point on it. But from here, we can say if it was not dear old Aunt Sophie, it was dear old Aunt Sophie adjacent. Definitely. And Sissy didn't have any girlfriends like we would think somebody to talk this over with. Her world was really small. There were only 229 women and 23 men that she was even allowed to talk to because of protocols and wackadoodle traditions. And even those meetings, those were state affairs. It wasn't like in the Marie Antoinette movie where she had all her girlfriends around her all the time and they were just having play days. She had nobody. So her feelings of oppression started to grow again with her tormentor in residence. And so it was perhaps perfect timing that FJ's advisors recommended a tour of Hungary, the breadbasket of the empire that had never really stopped agitating for a parliament and for more local power. That's what they were fighting for back in 1848. And that's what they still wanted. Well, Aunt Sophie was anti, of course. She still hated the Hungarians for all that trouble in 1848. And she objected to the plan to take both children along. You'll never catch me going to that wild land of savages. Sounds great, said Sissy. Let's go. Without you, one more reason. Outside, of course, she said nothing. (laughs) She's not a fool. No. So it was all set, though. She insisted on taking the children with them. It was going to be a family holiday that had worked in Italy. Me and my family were all going to go to your beautiful country. 
She was so excited at the prospect for this trip that Sissy got tutored in the Magyar language and she made a special point to learn about the history and about food customs and she didn't want to be unprepared. And at this point, it was more like phrase book things, but think how nice it would be for them to hear her say things or at least try to say things, even if she had a charming accent, you know, in their language, she's made the effort and that would mean a lot. So she made a point of doing that. And so because of that, and because Sophie hated Hungary so much, before Sissy even touched a dainty little royal toe into Hungarian soil, she loved the country, just the thought of it. And Hungary did not disappoint. She found the twin cities of Buda and Pest absolutely charming. The people, too, had Sissy's philosophy about this trip. All right, everyone. I mean, they didn't have a Skype call or anything, but they're like, let's <laughs> show him our humanity and possibly impress this guy and improve our relationship with him. This was personal. Unlike Italy, FJ himself had withdrawn the reforms that his uncle, the previous king, had made. And he had also sicked Russia on them. I mean, this is actually personal. But just like during the Italy trip, he freed prisoners here. He restored property here. There were serious meetings attended in which he promised reforms. And like before, popular credit went to the civilizing influence of Queen Erzabet. But they did also tour around. It wasn't always just official visits. The couple went further afield to the countryside to cement the relationship, and FJ and Sissy loved talking to the common people they encountered and getting different perspectives. That's the influence of Sissy's papa here. In one of these little villages, FJ came upon a cobbler, and he said to him, do you know who I am? And the cobbler said, yes, of course, you're the king. Because in Hungary, they don't recognize him as emperor. They recognize him as the king, and Sissy was the queen. FJ said, that's great. You know who I am. Are your neighbors happy? Sure, the cobbler said. We love everything that's happening except the things that are attached to the emperor. He is an awful, awful man. I'm paraphrasing, of course. <laughs> so then you're like faced with, mm, do I tell him? And <laughs> FJ decided not to. That's right. Good man. Good man. <laughs> So the family, though, got some very bad news on the road. A message came that their oldest child, Sophie, they had left their children behind during the countryside trip. She was gravely ill. Some books say food poisoning. The general consensus seems to be that she had typhus. And this child, Sophie, died shortly after her parents returned to the city. Sissy had held Sophie for 11 hours. There was nothing she could do. And FJ sent a telegram to his mother, Aunt Sophie, and said, our little one is in heaven. I don't even want to imagine what the trip back to Vienna was like or what the moment that Sissy actually came face to face with Aunt Sophie. Yeah, the family returned to Vienna with this small coffin to which Aunt Sophie said to Sissy, well, heaven has punished you for your arrogance. I want to punch her in the face, honestly. I know. I keep thinking this over and over again. If we were covering Sophie as our main subject, she wouldn't be as evil. She would be smart and cunning. And it just kept reminding me that all of us in somebody's story is the jerk, you know? Yeah, that's probably true. Although most of us would know enough not to tell someone who's oh. just lost a child that they are officially being punished by God. Uh, oh, no question about it. No question about it. This is extreme. 
So let's call her a flawed protagonist. Okay. <laughs> I like then that. in that case, if we ever cover her. Well, anyway, Aunt Sophie, flawed protagonist, began an active campaign, a whisper campaign against Sissy within the palace. She used to call her our eccentric little empress. It was just like dirty nicknames and like rolling of eyes, little snide, childish things she would say to erode people's respect for Sissy. Sissy's whack friendship with her hairdresser and lookalike Fanny Angerer was scrutinized. Her every move was scrutinized. She'd come into a room and it would go quiet. What might Sissy's life have been without this mother-in-law? And I think sister Helena had dodged a bullet here. Oh, yes. Well, so here's Helena preparing for her own happy marriage, a love match to a wealthy hereditary prince of another German principality. And Sissy was just paying and paying for that accidental meeting at dinner all those years ago, you know? Mm-hmm. And Sissy's own mother and sisters came to visit her, but even they couldn't pull her out of her grief. I mean, it wasn't just grief, which is oppressive, as we know. But it was also the pressures that Sophie was putting on Sissy that just compounded. Sissy really spiraled down in a depression. Sissy ate hardly anything. She existed on milk and eggs or, brace yourself, the juices of rare steak squeezed into a glass, which did not make her throw up the way it would make me throw up. She began to be obsessed with the size of her waist, which at one time reached Scarlett O'Hara proportions of 16 inches. She vanished from the public eye all of a sudden, and rumors swirled that Sissy was again expecting. And actually, this time rumors were correct, because Sissy was expecting. Being pregnant did improve her mood. It did improve her appetite just a little bit. Uh, she also indulged in any old wives tales that came her way. The last time it was girls, maybe if she did these things, could they be all that crazy to get a boy? On August 21st, 1858, 20-year-old Sissy was in labor and was delivered a son. 101 cannons fired over the city of Vienna and Archduke Rudolph cemented Sissy's position as mother of the air. FJ could not stop carrying his son around. I think that is hilarious. And he bestowed Austria's highest honor, the collar of the Golden Fleece, which is actually like a really thick gold chain with a sheep hung from it, Brooks Brothers style, which is not a coincidence because Brooks Brothers copied this particular symbol as their own logo. He hung this big medal over poor little Rudolph's crib saying, well, he could teeth on it later. <laughs> He's the one that was complaining about him choking on buttons. His older daughter's choking on buttons. <laughs> and now he's going to give this guy a gold chain. Well, awesome and good, except for the boy began to waste away on the wet nurse's milk. And one of the noblewomen of the baby prince's household snuck him out every night to Sissy's room so she could feed him. So at last, someone willing to go against Aunt Sophie for at least the baby's sake. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Italian provinces were at it again. This time they had France on their side and they really wanted unification of their provinces, something that FJ hadn't given them. So FJ left to handle that situation in assorted ways. And back at the ranch, Aunt Sophie seized control of all the kids. 
Yes, not good. Well, Sissy began traveling through Vienna as a kind of PR missionary and a patriotism missionary. She visited the sick. She visited churches, orphanages. Basically, she was the loving face of the royal house while her husband was out of the country until Aunt Sophie stopped her. That is undignified in an empress. Your appearances cause a public disturbance. Well, in other news, Sissy took up smoking, which was shocking in a lady. But I mean, come on. (laughs) The one thing that she's like, all right, everyone loves this. Everyone cheers. Everyone's happy for me to do this. I'm sure my husband would appreciate it. And her mother-in-law made her stop. Well, Sissy took to riding horses as a defense, long distances and jumping. And Sophie wrote to her son literally on the battlefield. And he writes back to Sissy, can you just do whatever mother says? Just, I will deal with this when I get back. I can't, you know, know. (laughs) right now, I don't need to hear this. He lost the war and had to give up a territory in the peace treaty. He's humiliated and he's sad. And he comes home not to tranquility or or kisses or hugs, you know, we still love you, but this beehive of tattling and anger from all sides. His mother started in on him as soon as he got in the door. He hadn't even put his hat down. His wife began her side upstairs. She was so angry, Sissy was, and upset that FJ actually sided with his mother that maybe Sissy was too eccentric to have charge of their children after all, even though people that are listening. It was the seizure of her children that had upset her so badly in the first place. She retreated, just like with the smoking, to things that she could control, and that would be her exercise, her smoking. She wouldn't give that up, even though FJ wanted her to. As she's exercising more and more, FJ tried to get her to stop by saying, I hate thin women, but it didn't stop her. She was doing gymnastics, calisthenics every day. She recorded her weight and her measurements. She had a dentist installed in the palace. She started building horse hurdles in the backyard again, higher and higher. She just kept riding all day. Sissy's gilded cage just kept getting smaller and smaller. And she realized that FJ was not going to back her anymore on the issue of the children. So she told him she was going to go away. I can't go right now, my dear. Political matters are not with you by myself. Uh, uh, okay. He said, maybe one of our other palaces. I'll, I'll write to not here, said Sissy, out of this word redacted country, an island as far away as I can get. And she, as far away as she thought she could get was, you know, like spin the globe. Madeira. Where is Madeira? I mean, it's a fine wine, etc. But Madeira is an island off the coast of pretty much nowhere. It's, it makes a triangle between Portugal and Morocco. That's how far south it is, like 700 miles south of Portugal. That's pretty far away. FJ was in shock, but he did recognize an immovable force. <laughs> He was, I think, afraid of her lack of concern for his approval, I think. She's just like, my will will be done. You stop me and I will leave out the other door. I mean, it was it was like a just statement. Right. I think he also had his finger on the pulse of the people. He knew that they weren't going to go for just this wild 
harebrained adventure from their monarch unless there was a reason. So they drummed up a bunch of doctors to find a physical reason why Sissy had to leave. They decided to say and to put about that she had, I wrote tuberculosis, but they actually said consumption. (laughs) So they let that get out and percolate through the world. And everybody latched onto that. Kings and queens all over Europe wrote with advice and sympathy and, and offers to help. And the Queen of England herself, our old friend, Queen Victoria, offered Empress Sissy her royal yacht, the Osborne. Hey, presto, FJ, I'm a borrow Vicky's boat. And she <laughs> peaced out. I mean. <laughs> well, it wasn't even on Austria's nickel, the boat part. The Austrian Navy wasn't very big and it was too far away at that time to even get to her. So she had a way. Wasn't going to cost the country anything to get there, of course. See, I thought that was a tactic because FJ had said, I'm sorry, there's no boats available to take you to. And he looks at his notes, Madeira. Uh (laughs) So against all conventions, she had broken free and she set out and Queen Victoria had written, you should drop in on your way by, said Queen Victoria. And Sissy's like, la, 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 didn't get your text until it was too late. Sorry. (laughs) Well, she was sick, remember? She had to get back down to the sunshine and warmth to heal herself, her and her three ladies-in-waiting. I mean, obviously, she's not traveling alone. It was a week-long cruise, although after the first few hours, the ladies-in-waiting went down below, and Sissy stayed up on deck the entire time, which is really smart. Some sources said that she got seasick. Other sources said she didn't. Susan would say, if you're above deck, you're not going to get seasick because you can look at the horizon and there's fresh air in your face. Whereas the ladies in waiting were bringing up their little tea, (laughs) tea cookies. But see, is that like some people just don't get seasick and some people do? Is it just a thing? Uh, uh Uh-uh. No, I think you no, No, even my dad would get seasick for the first couple of days when they got out to sea. Yeah. Then you get over it. Well, I remember I used to have to sit in the very, very middle of the ferry that was going to Block Island, like the middle top, because uh-huh. that's where every that's where the fulcrum was of the spinning in every direction. So at least uh-huh. I got shaken around the least up there. Oh, <laughs> I'm still wondering how anyone ever found Block Island in the first place. Like you get on a boat and you head out into nothing for like an hour and a half. And then you're like... Oh, how did you ever find this? Probably the same way they found Madeira. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably true. How do you find anything? I know. Sissy loved being out on the ocean. This is what she said. The sea is my father confessor. It restores my youth for it removes me from all that is not myself. I think a lot of people feel that way about the ocean. Yes, it's their happy place. (laughs) I feel like it's full of fish pee. Really? Oh, no. I don't like the ocean. I don't like the sound of the ocean. I do not like the smell of the ocean. Did you see about that little kid that got oh. blown to sea off? I mean, off the, the coast of Greece on the little unicorn floaty. Yes, I did. And then they asked the captain, "So how was the child when you picked her up?" And he's like, "Not good." <laughs> how would you be? All right. Fine. Well, back to not current events. <laughs> Um, Sissy had a villa in paradise now with friendly and interesting companions, a menagerie of pets, 
months and months of relief from the Austrian court and all of its intrigues. As it turned out, as Victoria recalled her boat for repair and couldn't come back to get her. So, oh, my short vacation turned into... Almost half a year. Mm -hmm. But she was filling her days. I mean, she was going for walks. She was reading and writing poetry. She was reading Shakespeare, playing with all those animals and just getting sunshine and just not being in the public eye. That must have been extraordinarily restorative. And like a lot of us trying to finish up our Duolingo during our pandemic situation, she applied her brilliant mind to the study of languages. Now that she has free time to read books in the sun, and gradually the bloom returned to her cheeks, along with a sumptuously unfashionable tan. Yes. <laughs> so eventually, after many months, Queen Victoria sent an alternate yacht. Nice to have an alternate yacht. This is the Victorian Albert. This is the nicest way to travel ever, I would say. Well, and so Sissy packed up her collections of coral and exotic butterflies, and it was time to go home. But what she found was a backlog of official engagements, a poisonous atmosphere of disdain for Sissy that had been pumped out all over the court, and a nearly total seizure of her children. All of the good done over the past months was just whisked away. Ugh. No, 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 said Sissy. I am leaving. I'm done and I am not coming back. I will, I will not live like this. And FJ, who loved her, helped her to flee. And this time she went to another island a lot closer called Corfu, which I also had to look up where it is. If you see Italy as a high heeled boot, right at the tip of the boot, stiletto, you know, <laughs> right across from that boot stiletto over to Greece, just off the coast of Greece is where Corfu is. I went looking for any documentaries about Corfu, and instead I stumbled upon, for me, I mean, all of the British-speaking world probably knows about this one, but the Durrells in Corfu, it's a British series, it's on Amazon Prime, and it's delightful. Now I want to go to Corfu, too. <laughs> so bad. Well, Sissy liked it better than Madeira. She was happier there. She thought it was more, there was more to do. She could swim there. She could take her dogs to the beach and just watch the moon. She could just read for hour upon hour and work on her languages. Sign me up. Well, she would walk miles every day to the point where she like broke her foot. She exhausted her companions. <laughs> her uh, weight at one point had plummeted to approximately 95 pounds. She decided she would switch it up from her keto situation and go on a raw food vegetarian diet. And visitors like her sister, Helena, described her as having, and I quote, puffy eyes and jangled nerves. So she might like Corfu better, but it maybe she had just had it with the disillusionment of having gone back to the court, you know? Mm -hmm. I just don't know. Corfu didn't seem to have the same restorative powers as Madeira had had. No, I think you're right. I think it was psychological. In Madeira, I'll go back and everything will be better. Now she knows it's not going to be better. Mm -mm. But FJ missed her. He loves her. He's willing to indulge her things, but he still missed her. So he went down to Corfu himself to bring his wife back. And she said, no, I don't. I don't think so. And he said, please, what's it going to take? 
I'll tell you what, let's make a compromise. And they decided that they would go to Venice and he would have the children brought down and they could live in Venice as a family. How does that sound? Sissy thought, okay, that sounds good. Venice it is. It was, <laughs> it was fine for a while. And then Sissy's own mother, Ludovica, descended on her and basically read her the riot act. You are giving your husband a real PR nightmare. Forget about me. Forget about your family, sissy. You need to stop embarrassing yourself. You look like crap and you are acting crazy, which my friend with the Vittelspach legacy on your father's side of madness, you cannot afford to encourage people to focus on. <laughs> well, Sissy had taken up a new hobby. She had written to anybody she knew anywhere in the world saying she wanted photographs of beautiful women from around the world. So she was collecting them all in scrapbooks. Can you see the eyebrow raising on Mama Ludvika when she saw these scrapbooks? She's an empress and she's making scrapbooks. It's like Pinterest. You know, It was a little bit of mirror, mirror on the wall. And I think that's the part where her mother is like, who cares who's the fairest of them all, frankly? Right. You're the empress. Like, you have power. Who cares if there's a girl in a harem, is how they pronounced it, somewhere that has finer eyes than you? OMG, pull yourself together. And I don't know if it was the disdain or just being like a little dog at Sissy's heels. Eventually, they did go back to Schönbrunn Palace after a two-year absence on Sissy's part. FJ wanted another son, like a little insurance policy for his kingdom and not that's in the not bloody likely department as far as Sissy's concerned. Well, FJ had other fishes to fry. With the distraction of the American Civil War taking up the attention of the United States, France decided to consolidate power just south of there in Mexico. And to give the new monarchy they were setting up a sense of legitimacy, they installed FJ's younger brother as Emperor Maximilian. The Habsburgs had had this place for 200 years, like 15 hundred to seventeen hundred something. So it's not like completely out of the blue. Mm -hmm. When I first heard about that, I was like, what? You're just gonna pull some random <laughs> like yes, that's what you do. You know, sometimes you run out of princes and have to import one. So that's what they did. Sissy's response about Max's wife, Charlotte, soon to be Empress Carlotta, you just wait until she gets a throne. She'll realize how lucky her life was without it. Ain't that the truth, says the woman who knows what happened to Carlotta. So Sissy had a new obsession, adding on to the horseback riding. Now she, you know, would wear out four horses a day, adding to her exercise routine, rings, balance beams, dumbbells, calisthenics. <laughs> she is doing real gymnastics. She's doing handsprings. And I read once a black dress with ostrich trim. So she's not in bloomers. She's dressed. She's in the Lululemon of her day. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> probably made by Worth. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Probably. She began to be obsessed with her hair. Her crowning glory, the reason she's in this position in the first place, as far as I'm concerned, her knee-length hair was her pride, her joy, and her burden, I think. Oh, definitely. Every day, Sissy would sit in a chair on a sheet and study Hungarian or Greek, while her hairdresser, at this point, a nearly look-alike English woman named Fanny Angerer, you have got to see her on the Pinterest board. It is 
kind of shocking how much they look alike. Actually, I think Fanny's prettier, but don't tell. (laughs) Well, from a distance. Yeah, she traveled with us and was her body double a lot Mm -hmm. of times. So Fanny would brush and wave and braid, and the maids were supposed to collect all the fallen hairs in a silver bowl and present them to Sissy so Sissy could count them. Now, the average daily loss for every human on Earth is between 50 to 100, but they're normally not four feet long. So that looks like a lot of hair. It looks like a dust bunny under the bed in your guest bedroom. You know, it's big. (laughs) And she (laughs) started to freak out on people on a daily basis. And so Fanny, putting her hand up to the maids behind her mistress's back, came up with a plan. What Fanny did was put something that was like rubber cement inside her pocket so that when she combed Sissy's hair, she'd brush the comb over the sticky substance without anybody seeing and put it back so there wasn't as many hairs in the silver bowl at the end of the sitting. It was very sly, but I think she saved a lot of people's day. (laughs) Yeah, including her own, because she would get a tongue lashing if there was too much. And you know, my husband, Chris Graham, does not really love for me to go into the commercial kitchen at all, even to walk through, um, unless my hair is in a ponytail, because one of my hairs will oh. ruin up a reputation. <laughs> yeah, I would, I kept thinking about your hair because your hair is closer to sissies than mine is. And how long does it take to dry that, you think? Oh, I don't know. I just sleep on it wet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have no Sissy idea. Sissy didn't do. Sissy washed her hair once every three weeks with egg yolk and cognac or brandy, depending on the source you read. I was going to try it, but then I decided... I like my shampoo and I didn't want to put egg yolk in my hair, but there are commercially made shampoos out there with egg yolk and cognac in them as ingredients. You can buy them now. So she was onto something. Then she would just walk around in her rooms until her hair dried and that must have taken forever. Oh yeah. If it was hair washing day, cancel my appointments. I can't, you know, I'm washing my hair tonight. It was real (laughs) in her case. So... All those eccentricities that Sissy had and the one people focused on was her close and personal friendship between herself and her hairdresser. But you know what? They spend hours a day together every day. And who do you talk to? You talk to your hairdresser and it's not like she had this whole coterie of other teenage friends to talk to. It's about this time that those portraits that we see of Empress Sissy were created. There was three paintings. One of them is the one that we all know. It was done by Franz Xavier Winterhalter, and she's wearing a fluffy white Worth gown with stars all over it. She's in semi-profile, and she's got diamond stars. They're really Edelweiss, but it's a flower that looks like a star all down her hair. It's stunning. And that's the portrait that, if you look her up, that's the portrait that you'll see. But there were two other portraits he also painted. And those were just for the emperor's eyes only. And Sissy's hair is down. She's wearing her hair like a shawl. And she's just in a peignoir, which is really racy. But these portraits just went in Franz Joseph's office for the rest of his life. So for her to sit for those portraits, I mean, she liked him at least to be able to do that. Yeah, I think so. FJ had a dire situation on his hands. So I am glad he had something nice to look at in his office. The Prussians were agitating, provoking, and attacking Austrian interests. They wanted a fight very badly. 
they wanted to have a king of the mountain kind of challenge against Austria. And unfortunately, the outcome of all of these conflicts was that Austria ultimately lost its place as the number one power among the Germanic countries. It was a giant blow. This series of events actually changed the whole makeup of Europe. This is when Germany began to be a world power. When you think of Austria, do you think of anything? Maybe Mozart, coffee with oranges and chocolate in it? I mean, what do you think of? So this is when Austria's reputation as a world power began to decline. And it's a very sad legacy that FJ had. That was definitely a big blow to him and to his psyche, I think, as the caretaker of this long-standing empire to have that happen. Well, of course, Hungary raised its head again, sensing an opening here for independence. And FJ, no fool, when it came to his wife's power to charm when she wanted to, asked her humbly to go as his representative and calm down the situation in Hungary. That is faith in her abilities, not his mama, but his empress. Not that his mama would have gone to Hungary even if he had asked her. No. I mean, she hated Hungary. She hated everything Hungarian, the food, the people, just the name. It repulsed her. Well, FJ was thinking of like a year ago, a delegation from Hungary had come to visit in Vienna and had gone to an audience with the emperor and empress. And Sissy came out in the Hungarian national dress. I mean, like elevated. Come on now. She didn't buy it off a stall in the market or anything. But she had made the effort and she had rehearsed some speeches in their language and she looked so beautiful and the honor given to them. She walked in and the whole delegation spontaneously without looking at each other to see if this is what needed to happen all fell to their knees. Yeah. So Uh using the power of that, FJ's like, please take that power and go to Hungary for me. Although it didn't actually work like he had expected, Sissy sided with the Hungarians. She was very fond of this country. She had made friends with Hungarians. Uh, one of her ladies-in-waiting was a Hungarian who she had elevated to this position just because she enjoyed talking with her. Sissy's going in there, but she's not coming out saying, okay, they're calm down. She's coming out saying, hey, FJ, I think you should really think about this dual monarchy will still be the head of the country, but they'll have their own parliament. Well, and you know what? She is no fool. Okay, so I show up and y'all are so happy that I'm here or whatever. But like that means to me, the second I leave, you're going to be cursing the emperor again. So you guys need to tell me what's going to fix you. You know, like, just be honest. I know I'm beautiful, whatever. Hello. Thank you. But tell me what I need to tell my husband to make the situation fix itself because you can't survive on my portrait, you know? So what they wanted was a parliament and a constitution of their own, which is what they had wanted all along. One patriotic Hungarian in particular, one Count Andrasi, Hungarian pronunciation questionable, acted (laughs) as her advisor and fixer. He had been a rebel back in 1848. But, you know, if you refuse to deal with people that were rebels in 1848, you would deal with no one. So honestly, I think he was a reasonable advocate for the people of Hungary. They were again charmed and bowled over with Empress Sissy's beauty and grace. But Sissy herself, of course, is no fool. Like Susan said, she did urge him Show yourself to be generous and kind. 
And FJ did send his agreement and the Hungarians were just joyous. And of course, this made Sissy look very, very good in their eyes. And it was in FJ's interest to calm the situation in Hungary so he wouldn't be faced with losing the right half of his empire also. So he he has got to be a little more conciliatory this year where he wouldn't have had to in the past. Off thousands of miles away in Mexico, Brother Maximilian was in real trouble. Real trouble. He had been abandoned by the French who had put him on the throne of Mexico and he could find allies just nowhere. His wife had been traveling the courts of Europe begging for allies, but Germany was not for the French presence in Mexico. And Queen Victoria, in homage to her late husband, sided with Germany. America was just hard of war, full stop. And FJ just sent a message. He's like, I think you just have to abdicate and get out of there. I don't know how anyone can help you. And FJ sent ships to try to extract his brother from certain doom. Back in Hungary, Count Andrashi had been appointed minister-president, and some good news arrived. Hungary would like to recognize their new relationship with Austria, the new, quote, partnership by crowning FJ and Sissy as the king and queen of Hungary. And they had a present. They wanted to present them with a castle, Castle Gödele. And the U's are hard for my tongue. So that's as close as the U as I can get. With the compliments of the Hungarian aristocracy. And of course they said, yes. The imperial couple arrived in Hungary, and the enthusiastic crowd was chanting, Elian Erzabet! Elian Erzabet! Queen Elizabeth. To whose credit did the Hungarian people give their new powers? Exactly. Yep. <laughs> you know, like they used to say, uh, President Obama used to say, I'm Michelle's husband. You know? <laughs> I'm Sissy's husband. All right. <laughs> So by tradition, before a coronation, the queen, with her own fair hands, had to repair the king's traditional coronation clothing, not, of course, being raised to have ever hold a needle at any point. <laughs> uh, Sissy's like, okie dokie. She squinted and, and did her best. And after a week, uh -huh, don't look too closely, y'all, but here you go. There, she handed the clothes back. I, I hope somebody fixed them. But anyway, she she herself says she did a bad job. And that's fine. Her <laughs> coronation gown had been made by our old Gilded Age friend, Mr. Worth in Paris, and was a fabulous concoction of white and silver with a black velvet overskirt and cloak. And I love this story. Sissy let FJ in to see how she looked, and he ran over and hugged her, and the room erupted in cries of dismay. <laughs> as everyone sighed and put their flat irons back to heat because he had racked up her outfit. <laughs> and they're like, see you at the ceremony, <laughs> your majesty. <laughs> like, dang it. <laughs> Why? I love that story. 
The coronation itself, however, was rich and formal and enthusiastically received. Sissy was just under 30. It was on June 8th, 1867. And later, Crown Prince Rudolph had an essay to write for his tutors about what happened. And this is what he said. In the church, there were many magnates and officers. Then the music started. Then the primate and many Catholic and Greek bishops came in and very many other priests. Then came Papa and Mama. Mama sat down on kind of a throne and Papa went to the altar where a lot of Latin was read. That's a synopsis of the ceremony. At one point, F.J. bowed deeply in front of his wife while the audience of thousands yelled, Elian Ersebet. <laughs> Hooray! A week followed of feasts and fireworks and festivities. Alliteration for Susan's benefit. Thank you. At the end of which, the royal couple were presented with caskets. And they were listed as 50,000 ducats apiece. I just couldn't tell you how much that is. But it's grand enough that when, at the advice of his wife, FJ turned them both over to a charity for the widows and orphans of the rebels of 1848, those rebels who had fought against him personally. And the surprise and acclaim were almost overwhelming. The newspapers in Hungary called Queen Elizabeth, quote, the most captivating woman on earth. Ten days later, after they had arrived home to a Vienna that was like a happy face with a straight line about the whole thing. That Vienna, man. I know. <laughs> F.J. and Sissy learned that in the heat and the dust of far off Mexico, F.J.'s brother, the Emperor Maximilian, had been executed by Benito Juarez's men and the new government by firing squad. He had given each member of the firing squad a gold coin to not shoot him in the head so that, and I quote, his mother could look upon his face after his death. That is something else. Mm -hmm. His wife, Carlotta, had gone mad with grief and had now been packed off to exile with her own family. For a while, FJ and Sissy seemed to come back together. Triumph, followed by disaster, will do that to you, unfortunately, to the point where after all of this time, Sissy was expecting their fourth child. It was only about 10 months after their coronation, so... Bravo for them. I guess. My little souvenir. <laughs> that yeah, 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 yeah. We've talked about that before. That's funny. At last, at last, a spare for the throne, ideally. Sissy fled to their Hungarian castle rather than be subjected to Aunt Sophie and the chitter, chitter, chatter of Viennese gossip. And believe it or not, Aunt Sophie put about that she doubted the paternity of this new baby. Dirtbag. Yeah. Word went out that the new baby was to be called Istvan, which is um, Hungarian Stephen, basically. And Vienna was thumbs down. You know what? One place you're the glorious angel. One place you're practically the devil. Wouldn't you get away, you know, to an unpronounceable Gudulu castle? Yes. <laughs> With, I might add, the full support of FJ. So there you go. That's true. Unfortunately, Sissy did not present her husband and the Hungarian people with an Istvan. On April 22nd, 1868, 30-year-old Sissy, she's just 30, <laughs> with FJ at her side in a Hungary, gave birth to their fourth child. And this one she got to name because it was a little girl, Marie Valerie Matilda Amelie. Hmm. 
And her new court in Hungary almost immediately nicknamed her Die Einzige, which means the only one. Yes, even though all the children had come with her. Psychologically, is that good for the old ones? I don't know. I, but um, they were already messed up because as far as parents go, they'd answer to Aunt Sophie and their father and mom was in and out of their lives. Yeah, I think the only one probably was nothing compared to all that. Well, Aunt Sophie, as far as Sissy was concerned, was never getting her mitts on this one. Never was Valerie going to breathe the poisoned air of Vienna like Aunt Sophie's treacherous breath, I guess, <laughs> coming out of her face. Or germs, actually, although we're not quite to germ theory yet. Sissy, on this first actual trip down Motherhood Lane, was sort of helicoptery and hypochondriacal about the health of her, quote, only child. Yeah, I don't blame her, honestly, because if you look back, poor little Rudolph, let's just use his, him as an example, was subject to absolutely horrible treatment under his grandmama's watch in the name of toughening him up, preparing him to rule. Well, Rudy was a lot different than his father. He was more gentle and he was more anxious. FJ had taken to military education just fine. He started wearing uniforms as a child and never stopped. But for Rudy, maybe it was the teacher. He had a Count Leopold Gondercourt, who was his tutor. And this man was, he was a bully. He would shut then seven-year-old Rudy in a game preserve and tell him that a boar was going to come and get him or shoot a gun inside the castle in Rudy's bedroom to toughen him up. It got to the point where all of the unexpected ice-cold baths they made him take made him scream when anybody turned on a faucet. So here you go. He's with his mother now, and now at the age of 10, he was having to be basically deprogrammed from trauma by kinder professors that his mother had insisted upon. Insisted. She gave an ultimatum to her husband. She said, either Gondecourt goes or I do. That was when she was really stepping into her power. And I'm thinking this is one of the very, very few times that Sissy, and I hate to say exerted herself because it almost seems like she's laying on velvet chaise long, you know, taking opium all day about this. But this is one of the only times she has ever really asserted her maternal authority about the older one. Mm -hmm. Is that? Oh, right? yeah. No, that is absolutely right. And Gisla, she never really got involved too much in her life. I don't think they had much of a relationship at all. Mm-mm. Well, Sissy, true to form, rode all over the 30,000 acres of her Hungarian estate, accompanied by her faithful Lancelot, Count Andreshi. Um, Eyebrows were raised. He gave her a present of a revolver engraved in gold with his name on it to protect her from wolves, he said. Tongues may have wagged, but in Hungary, I'm not sure people really cared, kind of, yeah. honestly. But in Vienna, they did, because Sophie's saying, doesn't Valerie bear a remarkable resemblance to Andrasi? I know, like, really, with this? Mm. If FJ doesn't think that's true, and the timing doesn't alarm him, then what business is it of yours? Also, it's the third girl. So, yeah. I mean, really, dynastically? Yeah. Well, it also is continuing Sophie's campaign to make sure that she's given the powers of an empress, even though she doesn't have the title, by pushing Sissy down. Well, and um, historically speaking, the jury is still out, whether they were ever physically involved at all. But people have said 
her contemporaries observing her at the time that she had spent the happiest days of her life during this period at Godelo Castle. And I quote, Here she was entirely her own mistress, unrestrained by court ceremony. Here she indulged in the life she loved. The Hungarians adored and worshipped her. She fully returned their affection with a heartiness, the sincerity of which was never doubted. So if she could only have just lived here. I know. <laughs> well, I think that tells you what it would have been like if Sophie wasn't in the picture. Yes. Although I will say she's 30 now. She was 15 back then. So could she have stepped into Empress shoes? I don't know. We could speculate about it for all day. Yeah. So some more political maneuvering and saber rattling. FJ and Austria itself remained neutral in a decisive battle between France and Prussia that ended up in a Prussian victory. No more Prussia. We're now the German Empire under Kaiser Wilhelm. It will likely be us now in Austria, said Sissy. He's how long is he going to let us live mm -hmm. without coming after us? And FJ nominated Count Andrashi as his foreign minister. So if he was sleeping with Sissy, that was awfully magnanimous of him. Doesn't seem to scan. I don't know. More magnanimous. In 48, he had made Andrasi a political exile. You know, he put a bounty on his head. And then 18 years later, Andrasi put a crown on FJ's head. I know. Isn't that interesting? Everybody was being very um, chess grandmastery. In a positive way, yeah. I guess. Also, speaking of that, Andrashi used to have this good technique with the Hungarian parliament. They would propose something and he would send a quick note like, okay, we're going to do this. Uh, is that cool? Do you have anything you want me to try to propose as a change? And FJ would send back his note. And if he strongly objected, Count Andrasi would find a way to derail or delay the legislation so that everybody felt like they were getting what they wanted. Mm -hmm. He was like supreme, I don't know, negotiator. He was very good at his job. <laughs> yes. So the turbulent politics of Europe had FJ occupied to an extent that exhausts me to think about, but a personal crisis led him to send for his distant wife at last. His mother, Aunt Sophie, the nemesis of his wife, was dying. 67-year-old Aunt Sophie had a brain tumor, and Sissy did go to Vienna to be with her mother-in-law. Sissy and FJ sat with Sophie for days. Sissy was at the bedside more than anybody else. Sissy was gentle and caring. This is a woman who had made her life miserable. She'd stolen her children, but she was there for her mother-in-law until her mother-in-law's last breath. The last face Aunt Sophie ever saw on this earth was Elizabeth. If I'm being cynical and I give Elizabeth more mean credit than I think she had, I mean, wouldn't you say, you know what? I'm going to be the last person you see. Isn't that awful? I, that's awful of me. <laughs> well, what, has made me mean. Oh my gosh. <laughs> here's what I think also cynically, but I think if she hadn't been there, the people of Vienna would have turned on her. Oh yeah, definitely. So I'm not sure it was more like Okay, you old witch, regard my visage on your way out the door. I think it was more like, I better be here or else tongues will wag, right. you know? And it gave her an excuse not to be out and about, which is what Sissy didn't like to do anyway. Right. Well, speaking of that, so Sissy was free, but she sure didn't feel free. She withdrew more and more and 
more from society. She got kind of a persecution complex based in some fact. I'll give you that. But she said, Vienna has always misjudged me. She started to really hate when people would look at her and started to carry a fan or a parasol to block her face from the prying eye. She was convinced that everyone was talking about her behind her back, which of course, increasingly, they were. She found solace like she had many times before in her horses, although now she was riding them seven, eight hours a day. So Sissy pulled herself together for a couple of major events. First of all, the wedding of her eldest daughter, Gisela, who at 16 was marrying a second cousin like you do. Too young, said Sissy. She's too young, as I was, and onlookers thought so too, as the 35-year-old mother of the bride, just by existing, upstaged her own daughter, the bride, in every way. Luckily for Gisela, though, there was a part two of her wedding to be held in Munich, to which her parents weren't going. Um, So her glorious mama did not put in an appearance at part two, so she could be the star of her own show. And Gisela and Sissy really had no functioning relationship outside of a formal one. Mm -mm. So sad. Number two, right on the heels of the wedding, another event in Vienna, the World Exposition, which would ultimately host 7 million visitors, impressing all the dignitaries that she rallied herself to meet with her beauty and her grace. Gisela, only a year after her wedding, had a daughter, and she named her Elizabeth after her mother. Sissy was a grandmother at 36. For a woman with a pathological fear of aging, this title was unwelcome to her. And she really upped all those eccentric beauty behaviors that she'd had. She had to give up horseback riding because she developed sciatica, so she took up fencing. (laughs) We thought the egg yolk and cognac shampoo was a little out there. She began to up her beauty rituals as well. She would put crushed strawberries on her hands and her neck and her face. That actually doesn't sound bad. It would be exfoliants and antioxidants, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, She would take weekly baths in warm olive oil and daily baths in mineral water. She slept in bed clothes that were soaked in vinegar, insisting that this was going to help her lose weight. And she wore a leather mask to bed that was lined with either strawberries or raw veal. (laughs) She wore meat on her face to bed. Okay, I was first disgusted by that, but then I thought, well, there's fat in it. Maybe it worked as like a nighttime moisturizer. Okay, so she's got raw meat on her face, and she is wrapped in vinegar-soaked sheets, and she's got strawberries on her hands, and the smell is, is her room full of fruit flies? I don't know. She didn't even have a pillow. She thought it was going to give her wrinkles. She's probably right on that call, but... Who cares? (laughs) That's right. She also tried a lot of different concoctions and hit on a great one that was a combination of beeswax and rose water, which, unlike the other beauty treatments, probably actually smelled delicious and had her hairdresser carefully pluck out any emergent gray hairs. Now, I started going gray at 26. She's 36. I could see it. And there's probably not that many. She also forbade any more photography of herself and would sit for no more paintings, no more portraits. The end. I'm going to freeze myself at this age in my beauty, and this is where I will stay forever as far as history is concerned. 
So since her hair was longer, it was down to her ankles at this point. She was sitting in the styling chair longer and longer. I'm telling you, that Fanny, she earned every single golden. I mean, she went to work every day. She insisted on being called the imperial hairdresser, which is a title I think she earned. But well, while, that's what she did. Yeah, well, while at the imperial hairdresser, Sissy also continued to study Hungarian, ancient and modern Greek, French and English. And just for funsies, she translated Shakespeare into modern Greek. There was a woman hired to read to her, the official reader. That's her title. Just like you might listen to a podcast now. I mean, maybe some of you are at the hairdresser right now, in which case, hello. (laughs) Welcome to your meta experience. But yeah, so that was actually a job in her court. I would like that, I guess. FJ suggested a family trip to the Isle of Wight. We have talked about this before off the coast of England. But at the last minute, he was trapped by official duties. And so Sissy set off with Valerie and an entourage. And on the way, they stopped by the Bavarian royal palace, where the troublesome cousin, Mad King Ludwig, was providing Sissy with an alarming example of the streak of mental illness that ran through the Wittelsbach family. Sissy's mother said the whole rumor about the Wittelsbach curse was nothing but an excuse for bad behavior on the part of Sissy and her papa, and in fact, all of them. But Ludwig, man... This is the Mad King Ludwig who made the Cinderella Palace of Neuschwanstein. Surely you have had a jigsaw puzzle of it in your lifetime. So he did leave something glorious for the world, but he was a pretty recognized crackpot. His brother Otto was so scary during this trip that Elizabeth feared that he would push her down the stairs and was always very careful never to turn her back on him. Everyone has their issues, but this this visit started this reverberating refrain in Sissy's head. You know, you're mad. You're mad. She didn't love that she had this legacy and she was always watching for signs. And it's kind of like inspect what you expect, you know, and she was always attributing things to, oh, I guess that's the bad blood coming out. Oh, no, that's what it is. Just inevitable. That's where it started. Off to England, where the neighbor lady, i.e. Queen Victoria herself, the gracious hostess to Sissy, which is confusing to me because do you remember what a sort of recluse Queen Victoria was? This is the Mrs. Brown era, if Mm -hmm. you've been watching the movies or whatnot. But one thing Queen Victoria knew about Sissy was her love of horses. So hunting parties were set up, expeditions to famous estates. Queen Victoria, in her private correspondence, referred to this time as, quote, that extraordinary visit by the foolish Empress of Austria. Awesome. Fair enough. But while Sissy was in London, she took a special trip to Bedlam, the largest mental institution in the world. 5,000 inmates of what she in her time would have called a lunatic asylum. And she began to collect literature about mental illness, causes of, treatment for. She began to use her discretionary fund to charities that benefited mental illness, much to the dismay of FJ. When his wife got home, that's all she could talk about. She began correspondence with experts in the field. And he asked her what she wanted for her birthday. And Sissy said, a Bengal tiger, a locket, and a fully equipped mental institution. Not likely. FJ was just infuriated at this new obsession, like I've had enough. And he demanded that someone, anyone rational, find the Empress a flower show, 
or a museum? Can we make a parade for her next time? Let's not feed this mania, please. He wasn't successful because she would visit mental hospitals all over the world. You know, wherever she went, she would seek out the mental hospital. And this was a new uh, field of medicine at the time. It was only about 60 years old. They weren't too far beyond locking people up and lauding them as treatments, which is really sad. Man. FJ and his part, he really did want to keep Sissy in Vienna. So he had a house for her built, a house. It was a palace called Villa Hermé. It was nicknamed the Castle of Dreams. It took five years. There was a massive white marble statue of Hermes, the Greek god of wealth and good fortune. It didn't really keep Sissy in Vienna, but it became their place. Every year for the rest of their lives, they would meet up once a year at this castle of dreams. It was like their place. That is very nice. And since we're talking about FJ, he had kind of a secret almost relationship with his daughter, Valerie. Valerie was raised in Hungary. Hungarian was the first language she was taught. But she really wanted to speak German like her brother and her sister and her father. And whenever Valerie would go to Vienna to visit, her papa would like give her a wink and say, you can speak German here. It's okay." And she just loved it. It It's like their secret thing. Their secret language was German. I like him. So F.J. and his fellow king of Belgium conspired for a young Rudolph, who had just come of age, to marry Princess Stephanie of Belgium. Golly, the son and father had been butting heads for years and years. The son was fond of what his father called low company. (laughs) That seems like (laughs) sons and fathers through history. But more to the point, the son was fond of democratic principles which sounds fine to you and to me, but is the ultimate rebellion if your dad happens to be a monarch. Well, the father decided it was time for him to settle down and stop cavorting. Sissy was against the whole thing. Again, the girl is only 16. Everyone, take a step back again. But the inevitable machine pushed forward and poor old Princess Stephanie, who, you know what, I can't even talk about her upbringing. She'd been hammered into obedience since childhood by a father who was very disappointed that he didn't have any sons and had never made a secret of it. So, yeah, not so good. Uh, She accepted her fate, or hoped for better, in fact, and arrived in Austria. And of course, it was a disaster. I don't know how we expect to give all these people such horrible childhoods and then Welcome to your functioning adulthood. It's just not going to happen. Right. Well, she wasn't even an adult. They had to postpone the wedding for a full year because she hadn't had her monthly cycle yet. Even though That she was- should be a red flag. <laughs> and quite honestly, when she got to Vienna, nobody was sure if she really had had it yet or if her father was just like, let's get this going. Let's get this going. And, you know, I think another reason why Sissy wasn't keen on it was because it was kind of outside the family. This wasn't a relation like all the other marriages were some type of cousin. I think she thought it was better. Oh, you do? Yeah, I think she thought it was better. She actually had objected to Gisela's marriage right? on those grounds. Like, y'all need some different blood in here. (laughs) (laughs) You know, 
So I think I think that was actually a welcome change at last. But on the other hand, despite poor Princess Stephanie's just flailing at a hostile court, I think worse than Sissy had, because at least Sissy had had the upbringing where her father thought she was an angel on horseback and her father thought she was an awesome person and she had strength of character and was a little independent and she still had a hard time. So poor old Princess Stephanie, who'd been just beat down, you know, metaphorically and in reality since childhood, had no chance at all. And Sissy didn't help her. Her basic principle was, I'm not about to be a mother-in-law. I know about mothers-in-law and I am not that person. And this is none of my business. And I feel angry towards Sissy in a way that I, you know, I've rolled my eyes at her before, but I actually feel sort of angry right here toward her. Yeah. Of anybody on the planet knew what Stephanie was going through at all. It was her. And the difference between the marriages was Rudolph agreed to this marriage, but he wasn't in love with Stephanie at all. At least FJ loved Sissy. So yeah, she should have had some more empathy and related to her, but she certainly didn't. She just kind of put her hands up. Sorry. So Sissy's personality got kind of hard around now. And and her usual methodology, of course, used to be go out, get on horseback and ride away. But now, of course, sciatica, basically a horrible pinched nerve, had put an end to her horseback riding. So she switched to walking and then running for 10 hour stretches. So she's like marathon before marathon was a thing. Like, Yeah. And just try finding someone to go with her. You know, she had to pick somebody to go with her. She picked these people based on their stamina. But who could keep up with that? She should have done it like a stagecoach, like have people stationed a mile apart. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yes. (laughs) Like they're in their tent with their jug of cold wine until they saw her. Then they would get up (laughs) the next night, drink the wine and wait for her to come back. (laughs) Well, Sissy, on a more serious and sad note, began to openly talk about killing herself. And FJ, after all the dramatics that he had been through in the couple of decades he'd been married to her, would not take her seriously at all. He would just say things like, better not, you'll go to hell, and not even seriously look up from his paper. She was angry. She was angry at not being taken seriously and would tell him, my life is already hell. Now, people have the right to be unhappy, Uh, you know, regardless of their circumstances. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be against her feeling unhappy, but, and it seems to me that Sissy was profoundly depressed. So that's like worse than unhappy in an era where you were just supposed to buck up. But it's almost like she's so spoiled. I, oh, I think it was, yes, there was a lot of situational things that put her in a certain place, but I think it was chemical. When you start to have that much uh, suicidal thoughts that you are actually saying them out loud, you're in a really bad place. And I don't think you can just get there by situations. Situational meets chemical meets a really dark place. Maybe if Sissy were to ask a barmaid, you know, how hard Mm -hmm. her life was, if, if you think about it in the abstract, FJ pretty much let her do and spend, go and see whoever she wanted. Her wish, for the most part, was her own command. Like he wasn't even micromanaging her daily life or or travels or anything, you know. And and for a woman in that time period, that is almost unheard of. And it still didn't make 
her happy. So money doesn't buy happiness. And once upon a time, her maid had said that Sissy's problem, of course, she didn't say to Sissy, was that she did not have any useful thing to do and got too much attention for bad behavior. And maybe that's partially true. I think it's just a perfect storm of situations. And she can't compare her life to a barmaid. I don't even like to get into that comparing life problems, you know, arena. But yeah, I'm going with there's a lot more chemical in there. And at the time, you know, she was doing what she could to increase her serotonin levels, even though she didn't know that's what she was doing with all the exercise and taking control of things and just trying to make herself as perfect as possible. So things got worse, objectively worse. She learned that her, quote, only child, Valerie, had become engaged to a young Tuscan nobleman, otherwise unobjectionable. I mean, his family was good. His background was good. He was handsome. He was attracted to Valerie. Like there's, you know, Mm -hmm. other than being the man that was going to take Valerie away, she could find nothing against him. He was not a cousin. L-O-L-O-L. Not a cousin. This is the one that's not a cousin. I mean, they had great, 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 you know, whatever's in common. But I think by a certain point, almost everyone in Europe is going to go back to a certain number of people. <laughs> yeah. You know. She became nearly catatonic with grief. And ironically, it was actual grief that gave her sort of a reprieve from the feelings about losing Valerie to marriage because Mad King Ludwig, if you remember that, her favorite cousin, had been killed slash found drowned, question mark, in a pond on the grounds of one of his castles where he had been kept in sort of protective custody. Anyway, sorry, Valerie, you should wait to marry. We're all in mourning now. And she was a dutiful daughter who loved her changeable mother. (laughs) And she agreed. She agreed, you know, okay, that's good. That's fair enough. So Rudolph's life was suddenly full of turmoil and scandal. Rudolph and Stephanie, no surprise, their marriage was pretty non-existent. They really did drift apart. He turned to drink and other women. He did give her a terrible gift in an STD about five years into their marriage. But he took up with a 17-year-old baroness as a lover. They were having a torrid semi-public affair. Like people knew there wasn't even winking, you know, Mm -hmm. when at country estates, they have adjoining rooms, you know, that kind of affair. In fact, she was pregnant with his child and he wanted his marriage to Stephanie annulled so that he could marry this new woman. Stephanie had had a child, though, also named Elizabeth, because that's what one does. But There was so much trouble. I don't know if it was the STD or the birth, but she was deemed sterile and could have no more children. So Rudolph had no male heir and would not unless they dissolved his marriage. And permission was not granted. FJ insisted that his son break off the relationship, that he should grow up, put on his big boy jodhpurs or whatever he's wearing, and go back to his wife and his daughter. And Rudy just downright refused. He was not going to do it. And then on January 29th, 1889, Rudy and his lover both wrote suicide notes while at a hunting lodge. Rudy shot her and then himself. FJ now and always blamed himself for having caused his son's death. What are you going to do? Hindsight is 2020. What should he have done? 
Sissy herself fell into the deepest pit of melancholy. And the books that I have read are nearly all extraordinarily unsympathetic about it. Like their position seems to be, oh, you wanted to cry? How about life finally gives you something to cry about? It's really harsh the way they say it. Um, And I quote one book said, she finally caught up with honest grief. I, I, it's really um, pretty cold. That is. Guess what she did? We can guess. Took off sort of randomly all over the world. She abandoned her genuinely grieving husband who had done his best for her his whole life, I think. And she just embarrassed him. And she just ditched him. And I am feeling a, a way <laughs> about her now. I just don't even know what to say. Basically, she has placed a double burden of grief on her husband's head. She did one thing that I actually admire. It did come back to haunt her. However, they had had some actress and her husband card playing buddies. Mm -hmm. And she tasked the wife among the card playing buddies, whose name was Kati Schrott. Hey, you be his companion. Anything he needs, he's going to need to call on somebody. He might need to cry on her shoulder. Okay, thanks. Bye. (sighs) Official permission to be the sounding board was given. I'm just saying. So no crying later. Not about this anyway. And Sissy took off and pitched up on the Greek island of Corfu again and began construction of a 128-room palace, which is displacement energy if I ever saw it. The palace, she called it Achillion. It was on a cliff overlooking the sea, a gorgeous house. She just packed this place with art and gardens, and she just put all of her energy into making this uh, overstuffed uh, retreat for herself. It was a glorious white marble temple on a hill. Now think about when you go to the garden center and you want to buy one rose bush, and you have a little sticker shock, but you think, well... I like rose bushes. They last a long time and you dig deep and you buy two. She bought 25,000. <laughs> Money's no object for the Achillion. And when it was done and everything was planted and the hot springs were sprung, yes, hot springs on your property. <laughs> Sissy was done and she ordered it to be blown up. Can you see the contractor with his hat squishing it? Yes, really. Blown up. Uh, um, okay, ma'am. <laughs> um, <laughs> Absolutely. Now that I've been paid and he looks around for dynamite and the Achillion was saved by bureaucracy because no one would give the workmen a permit for the explosives. Thankfully, it's still there. I'll put a picture of it on the show notes. It's beautiful. I don't understand why she left it. Well, it had nothing to do with how beautiful the house was, obviously, but damn. I know. It's so crazy. I just, I couldn't believe that when she had said, all right, blow it up. I want it to go away. I want it to be obliterated from the face of the earth. I wonder now, just the way you said that, if she like looked at this house like herself yep, and just made it just as beautiful and over the top and physically gorgeous as possible. And then she wanted to destroy it. I mean, she's still having thoughts of suicide. She said, I want to travel the world until I drown and am forgotten. So, wow. Man. I wonder if it would have been therapeutic. Well, but for five minutes. <laughs> and then it's it's like, what's going to be enough destruction? I, you know? Yeah. And 
I I have to say the resilience of FJ amazes me. I mean, he was busy and he had lots of useful things to do. And maybe to a person like that, he didn't realize what was happening in his own house. I think he had the best of intentions. Yeah. Well, and again, we talked about this earlier. The study of mental illness was still in its infancy. So here, there is no way. I mean, we now from here, we're like, we can spot the signs, but uh, he couldn't. Well, Sissy decided to head home, but coldly had said in a letter that, and I quote, the only attraction there was, was the distance, the time it took to get there. Yikes. Also, she had the crew of her ship tie her to her chair, and I quote, in case she decided to throw herself overboard, like you do. She had a glass box built on the deck of her ship so she could sit out in it in the storms and just watch them. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that is kind of (laughs) cool. You can't jump overboard from inside of a box, I suppose. There's something else kind of cool that has to do with the ocean. When she was 51... Sissy got a tattoo. She had an anchor tattoo on her arm. And lest you think this is just really weird. We talked about this, I think, in the Jenny Jerome Churchill episode. Tattoos were kind of a thing for women of this class during this time. So tattoos and piercings that people couldn't see. It was really risque and dangerous. So Sissy got one. So you got a tattoo. (laughs) Oh, Uh... (laughs) shit. Yes, I did. I've gotten two. I'm I still don't have any tattoos. And if you were to see us side by side and try to choose which of us would have tattoos. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Even if you saw us on paper, like <laughs> <laughs> what we're like. Yeah, I'm, I'm so not the tattoo person. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, Chef Chris Graham, you know, chefs. I mean, and if you don't know chefs, let me just tell you, the ink is rampant in the restaurant industry like the, you're not going to find too many chefs that don't have a lot of tattoos or at least you know an arm full <laughs> i just have mine on my ankle and i thought about it for many 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 years so it's all very meaningful and pretty and if i stand in front of someone they can't see it like if i'm walking up for communion pastor's not seeing it until i turn sideways and then boom there it is <laughs> what does he do about it i don't know not my problem. Is it bad? Like, is it no. considered not oh. bueno? Uh, there are certain Christians who think that it's a, a, and against the Bible to get tattoos. I am not one of them. I think they're great. <laughs> they're beautiful. They're such a great example of self-expression that you can have forever. And you know what Sissy and I have in common here is, you know, when you were younger and people said, what's it going to look like when you're 60? Well, for both Sissy and I, it's probably going to look pretty much the same (laughs) as it does when we got it. (laughs) Well, you know what? That is a benefit. Yeah. Yeah. So her friend, the Hungarian Andrasi, that I can never say his name, and her sister Helena died. More loss. But Valerie's young man put his foot down. He set a date. He's like, people are dying every day and young people are getting older every day. We are going to do this. We're doing it now. (laughs) There's no more waiting. If it has to be small due to respect, that's fine. But come on now. And FJ could only respect that kind of manliness, you know. But Sissy was the specter at that feast. Let's just call it V-shaped eyebrow situation. Constant weeping. Exactly what you want at your wedding. Your mom to be doing. Yeah, no kidding. 
I mean, there's like, oh, my baby, you know, right. he's so big. I remember when he was so little in preschool. No, this was a whole other like, my life is over. Yeah. Well, she had put so much into Valerie. That was it. That was her child that she got to raise herself. But man, she put the smothering mother. But I think Valerie actually turned out pretty good. I agree. And I wonder how much that had to do with her father. So Valerie's gone, and Sissy is held by no ties, and back she went to Corfu, to the non-dynamated palace, to the non-dynamate, I can't say it. (laughs) I didn't even know it was a word, so. (laughs) To the non-destroyed palace of the Achilleon, wandering around until the inhabitants of the island, they started calling her the Mad Empress, because she was like a, a specter. That would just like appear in shadow walking around the parapets and the grounds. And she said she loved the Achilleon because there's a boatman down at the dock who looks like the personification of death. And he rows me over to islands where I can be alone. I, I, I cannot tell you how punk rock she is becoming right now. Oh, I have one of her poems. She's grown up. She's matured. She's read a lot of poetry. But here's another of her poems at this time. A seagull am I, from no land I come. There is no beach that I shall call home. Bound by no destination or place, flying from wave to wave, I race. Well, there you go. Well, the news came on her island that her daughter, Valerie, was expecting a baby. And that's exciting. And it's the new generation. And Sissy answered her, I think the birth of another human being is a calamity. Jeez. I mean, (laughs) there's a point at which I sort of like give up on sympathy. And I am very sorry about this. And maybe I should have passed that stage a long time ago. But I, I just don't know at this point. Am I being harsh? I mean, I am being harsh. I can't walk in her shoes or whatnot. But Your daughter, who you claim to love, writes you and tells you about the most exciting news that she has ever had. And that is your answer to her in writing that she can reopen and keep looking at? Yeah. Sissy's very multifaceted. (laughs) That's all I can say. There are a lot of sides to this woman. That's for sure. On her flying visits, quote, home to Vienna, Sissy actually had the nerve to object strenuously to the budding and strengthening, let's call it friendship, between Kati Schrott. Remember, she had placed his heart in Kati Schrott's hands. Right. With a bow on it. And he bought Mrs. Schrott a house, you know, among other things. I'm, I'm sure there were jewels. He spent time with her. He drank tea with her, which I think to FJ was more important than the house or the Mm -hmm. money. You know, he spent time with her. He could tell her things. She would listen. She would tell him things. You know, I think after so much tumult in his married life, those restful waters of Mrs. Schrott had to be like a spa. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And she's a nice lady. Right. You know... Kathy Schrott, that's where we'll leave her, but she exists and she's an irritant in Sissy's saddle. The international press, who had dogged Sissy since her marriage, I think, speculation had run rife since Aunt Sophie had put rumors out into the wilderness. And I think Sissy was the initial victim of the paparazzi. Oh, yeah. 
She would try to travel incognito. Uh, a lot of people thought that her trips were just willy-nilly on the fly, just making things up. But she actually planned them like a year in advance. And anybody associated that she brought into the plan was told not to say a word so that the word didn't get out where she was going. So she was trying. She was trying to travel as incognito as possible. Well, so the the press did have a field day with any little tidbit, real or imagined, that leaked out and kind of just took their hands and crumbled like a cracker any shred of reputation she had left or tried to. For example, her diet had gotten strange again. Many of us have gone on different diets, but she had milk day and then she had oranges day and then she had carrot day. I think like in that order. And then I think they went back. Milk, orange, carrot. She began to swell with starvation and malnutrition. And Sissy was infuriated that the doctors kept telling her that she needed to eat more because she thought she looked, quote, fatter and her clothing was tighter. And she began exercising more and exacerbating the condition. Her body was basically filling with water. And her husband is like, I love you. Where will this end? How long can it go on? How long can you live? The doctors wanted to give her one of the new fangled x-rays. And when she found out what it was, she put up both hands. No, 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 no photos, not even of my insides. So of course, Valerie was having more children, more calamities, should we say. And Gisela's child had a baby now. So Sissy is a great grandmother at 56. And for someone who is very, very concerned about getting older, having a great grandchild, no matter how young of a great grandmother you are, is sort of a trigger. Oh, certainly. For 10 years after Rudy's death, she really traveled as a lifestyle. She went everywhere, Egypt and Greece and Asia. Part of me, again, thinks this is her trying to self-medicate for her depression because planning a trip and going on it was exciting and it brought up all those happy chemicals and then she'd have to get the next happy chemical high so she'd plan another trip. I don't know. Just I'm just an armchair therapist here. Right. But in September of 1898, she and her companion were traveling. They went to Lake Geneva, Switzerland. The plan was to visit with her friend, Baroness Rothschild. It wasn't a state visit. Sissy was still avoiding any of those. Actually, she was trying to get the Rothschilds to buy the uh, palace in Corfu. (laughs) And they were definitely avoiding purchasing such a white elephant, a white marble elephant, as it turned out. Um, So they did have a nice tea and visit, etc. But Miss Rothschild did not sign on the dotted line. Bummer. It is. So they had settled in, in Geneva and do some shopping, look around. Why not? She and her companions um, had missed the ferry. But who cares? Honestly, this is not your typical traveler. Who cares? What did it matter? We'll catch the one tomorrow afternoon, get a hotel suite or two, and let's call it a night. And as it turned out, that was a critical decision. Also hanging out in Geneva that particular day was a very angry man named Luigi Lucini. He was in town on an assignment from his anarchist commander. Lucini was a militant anarchist, I think we can solidly say, who loved to attend meetings of groups like the United Brethren of the World. 
who declared war on anyone with money, education, power, or titles. Their goal was to create chaos and make the, quote, common man rise to the top, regardless of how unfit they were to be in charge of even themselves. Not our problem. We just want the elites to go down. Also a member of this group, Nikolai Lenin, just saying. So Luigi had been selected during a brotherhood seance event as a man who was supposed to perform, quote, a great deed for the cause. He was supposed to attack capitalism by stabbing someone important. Anyone. Like, it made him and the seance ghost, I don't know what you call it, spirit. No, never mind. Luciani was worried about being tracked by the police when buying a knife. So he instead sharpened a file into what amounted to an extraordinarily long stiletto. And he went out to get the papers to read the gossip columns to see who was available to be his victim. And he said in a letter later from prison, how I should like to kill somebody. It must be somebody great so that it gets into the newspapers. Even though Sissy was traveling incognito, she wasn't going under her known name, obviously. She wasn't saying who she was. She was spotted. She was recognized. There's a paparazzi picture that was taken of her and her companion just the day before she meets up with Lucini. She actually bought a very advanced music box for her grandchildren. So she must be coming around to the whole concept of grandchildren. Yeah. (laughs) They're fun to buy for. Even though... Sissy was rumbled. I mean, you know, they knew who she was in the hotel. The chief of police had actually stationed guards around the hotel. Sissy was irritated and called them all off. Please, can you take your men away? I don't need them. Nobody knows I'm here. And who cares about me? I've been gone 80% of the time for my entire reign. Nobody's going to bother with me. I am not a political person. There you go. So she called off the detectives. I'm just saying she did it herself. And I quote a philosophy she had. I am always on the march to meet my fate. Nothing can prevent me from meeting it on the day it is written that I should do so. If you put that in a movie, the studio would be like, no, two on the nose. Take that out. Right. Because on this same trip, she had told her companion that she longed for death, but feared the moment of transition. Right. I mean, I I don't know what to say about this. Well, around noon, the ladies were killing the time idly shopping like you do in that hour or so before the ferry left, kind of just along the lake shore. And as they strolled along toward their boat, they had one of those awkward pedestrian moments where, you know, you meet someone coming the other way on the sidewalk and you do that little awkward dance. Mm -hmm. You, no, you, no, you, Luigi for so it was, struck a blow to Sissy's chest hard enough to knock her down and fled. She had been saved from a concussion on the curb by the cushioning force of her giant braid of hair. Thank goodness for that. Passersby helped her up and everyone thought she'd just been punched in the chest. How random. So the two women went off to the boat, but as soon as Sissy boarded, she collapsed. There was no blood that was visible on the outside of her dress. But they got a deck chair and laid her down to see what was going on. Her companion opened up her shirt to just kind of release some pressure. And she saw that Sissy had been stabbed in the heart. In fact, the file had gone 
through her chest, broken a rib, and entirely through her heart. Sissy never regained consciousness. She was pronounced dead at 4.40 p.m. on September 10th, 1898. She was 60 years old. So Sissy, Empress of Austria, is dead. And her death, violent and unexpected as it was, caused shock waves to ripple all over the world. When the news reached FJ, the very first thing he said is, you do not know how much I loved that woman. Like That's his first thought is, I still loved her after all these years and all that she put me through. Yeah. Her daughter Valerie wrote in her own diary, quote, it has come just as she always wanted it, quick, painless, without medical treatment, and without long, anxious days of worry for her loved ones. Her people knew her, that's for sure. Even people that didn't know her felt like they needed to comment, uh, world leaders for some. But Mark Twain himself wrote, that good and unoffending lady, the Empress, is killed by a madman, and I am living in the midst of world history again. This murder, which will be talked of and described and painted a thousand years from now. To have a personal friend of the wearer of that crown burst in at my gate in the deep dusk of the evening and say, in a voice broken with tears, my God, the Empress is murdered, is as if your neighbor Anthony should come flying in and say, Caesar is butchered, the head of the world is fallen. And this scenario reminds me so much of the death of Princess Diana. She is often compared to Princess Diana, both in her philanthropy and her loneliness in her marriage, even though she didn't have FJ and Sissy did. You know, she just had mm. Prince Charles. Let's not talk about him. Princess Diana, though, in the public eye, having to live every moment as an icon of beauty and style and grace and heart and representing her country and that kind of thing, mm -hmm. caught at last by someone who was chasing her as a symbol for his own glory, an anarchist in Sissy's case, and a person trying to get a photograph in the other. All Queen Victoria said was, thank God she did not suffer. Her body was brought back to Vienna. For somebody who wasn't loved by all at the time right before her death, suddenly she was. Suddenly anything negative that they had thought about her was gone. It vanished. Her legacy, in almost a myth, began as soon as she died, and people were just grieving. The whole city was draped in black cloth. Statues of Sissy went up everywhere, and those statues were always covered in flowers brought by mourners. I, I just, again, remember that mm -hmm. gate of Buckingham Palace that was, you know, four and five feet deep in bouquets of flowers mm -hmm. and burning candles along the sidewalk. And she just became a focus for everyone's shock and grief about maybe the turmoil in the world. This is just pre-war, you know, and everybody is feeling the tension and just like they let it all out. They just couldn't believe this had happened. She was laid to rest in the Habsburg Chapel of the Capuchin Church to a giant and completely silent crowd. As for Lucini, he was caught right away and he confessed, I say confessed, I mean bragged, that yes, he had done it. And he was sentenced to life in prison because Switzerland didn't have a death penalty. He was denied the opportunity to be a martyr, which 
really annoyed him. Poor guy. He did answer fan mail for 11 years and one day was thrown into solitary confinement and the next day he was found hung by his belt. As for the throne, there is another dark chapter ahead for the throne of Vienna. As FJ, after the death of Rudolf, had no more male heirs, the Habsburg throne would go laterally to a man named Franz Ferdinand, a nephew who hated Jews, hated the Serbians, wanted to remove the independence from Hungary, in general was the polar opposite of FJ, and his assassination by another anarchist in 1914 set off World War I, in which 20 million people were killed and which ended the Habsburg Empire forever. Uh, what do we say about Sissy? Um, she's the first mass media celebrity, maybe. No, it's all those different facets of her. Part of I'm admiring her for, you know, having the gumption to create a life on her own terms in some mm -hmm. ways. But I just feel so badly that it seemed as if every step of that life was just made to give her the next thrill and then move on to the next one. And just trying to capture something that she couldn't ever get. She actually wrote, I've loved, I've lived, I've wandered through the world, but never reached what I strove for. All right. And now it's time for media. And as usual, we will start with the books. And I have two favorites of the four that I relied upon. And my ultimate favorite might be hard to get. It is a library book in my case, published in 1937, equally kind slash hand-waving about her mental issues in a way that later books are not. It's called The Golden Fleece by Bertita Harding. And I liked this one the most because it was written very conversationally. But if you are looking for hard, um, hard truths about some things, Bertita doesn't like to go into it to such a great extent. Well, it was 1937. And I agree with you completely. My note on the side of this is I like this one the best for reading. Mm -hmm. It was just it's a really enjoyable read. It almost read like a fiction. You know, I love books, you know, nonfiction. Yeah. Books read like fiction. And that one almost read like a fiction. I think that it reads as if it were our podcast. Mm -hmm. It was very contemporary. The language. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Read that one. I did get it on my Kindle for $2.50 if you are an e-reader. There you go. I know. I always find that I can't read electronically. I think I need the feel of the book. I was that way for a long time, but I've been reading on a, my Kindle, or many Kindles, <laughs> for a long time. So, yes, I like the feel of a book, but I had to go visit my mother. And so it was just, I had many books in this one teeny tiny device, including that one. So second place in my um, pantheon of books is a book by Andrew Sinclair called Death by Fame, A Life of Elizabeth, Empress of Austria. Significantly smaller a book, but it almost seems to go into more detail, factually, you know. Mm -hmm. So I liked that one too. I did not read that one. My most, on this I have written, the most post-it flags was The Lonely Empress, Elizabeth of Austria by Joan Haslip. I thought it was very detailed. 
I also think that Joan Haslip on the back cover has the most 1950s hairdo I have ever seen. <laughs> it was from 1965, the book. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't look at it. I didn't get a back cover. It was a library book. There was no back cover. Yeah. Now I'm going to have to Google it. <laughs> For a little history, if you are a fan of political wrangling, I am not, but one must sometimes get a little detail. This has a lot of detail. It's called The Eagles Die by George R. Merrick, France, Joseph, Elizabeth, and their Austria. It is a weighty volume <laughs> under which you could press innumerable flowers. <laughs> so if you like dates and battles, generals and von Bismarcks, that is the book for you. Oh, definitely. But for me, it was the most times that my eyes kept drooping. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that it was a bad book. It was just all those details about things that, you know, it was nice to know. But, you know, because it was both of them and Austria and politics and eh, not my thing. I did pick up a tiny book off of Amazon, which I don't recommend necessarily for the content, but I'm going to recommend it for the photographs. It is a translation from, I think it was originally in German. So the translation is off, but it's called Sissy Myth or Truth. It's very small, but there's a lot of photographs in it. So if you just want to flip through to look at things, I thought that was a great one for that. And then curiously, another little tiny book that I got a hold of, it's part of a series called The Royal Diaries, Elizabeth, the Princess Bride, Austria, Hungary, 1853 by Barry Denenberg. And it's strange because it only covers her childhood up to the point where she gets married. But it does have things like a family tree. It has lots of photographs and epilogue. They did not live happily ever after and that kind of thing. Um, and some quotes at the end. So it's a good little starter. Um, I almost wonder if that's as far as they could go without getting into sticky subjects in troubled waters. I agree. It's a middle grade book, so it's for kids, so they can't go too far deep. Uh, this is a whole series. I We've recommended these books before, The Royal Diaries. I think they're great for kids to meet these women because it's a diary. You just read their diaries. And speaking of their diaries, Sissy herself has a book that was published uh, years after her death based on her journals and her diaries. Oh, I'm going to mess this up. Das Potisch Tagebuch. And that's my worst German ever. <laughs> um, it is on Project Gutenberg. Good luck reading it. It is in German. So I did not read it, but I know it's out there. And this particular book, in her will, she wanted the proceeds of any book that was created about her to go to charity. And it was going to charity until at least the early 2000s. Wow. Sales, yeah, sales of this book. The last group that it was going to was political dissenters in Austria. There is sort of an irony to that, actually. So There is. Would, yeah. <laughs> it was an arts program. It was an arts program in Budapest. Yeah, it, that was from 2009 that I could find that. I couldn't find anything after that, and I couldn't find it for sale. But it is on the German version of Project Gutenberg, so we'll link you up to that. Now, you can find, depending on the day and how diligent the takedown people have been, portions or most of both major movie works about Sissy. 
First, the 1955 trilogy starring Romy Schneider. Favorite scene is when FJ surprises her at the beginning of their marriage with Bavarian food, including a giant stein of beer. Oh, yeah. Beer. They kept saying beer, beer, beer. (laughs) I put that. That's funny. I put that on the show notes, that particular scene. Yeah, it's very funny. And then um, so there's that. And that's, you know, six hours of of commitment. And sometimes you can find it on Canopy, K-A-N as in Nancy, O-P-Y, which is kind of like Libby for movies, um, Libby from your library. So you might check and see if your library system has it. It really depends on, on who's bought the rights to it, you know. So I can't even tell you if your library has it or not. There is also a 2009 Italian movie starring Christiana Capotondi. And that girl looks so much like I imagine Sissy to look. I have to say, just still photographs of her. I've got a whole bunch of them in the Pinterest board. She looks so much like Sissy. Okay, so the Romy Schneider trilogy has her spelled S-I-S-S-I. And then the 2009 is the correct S-I-S-I. Also online, I would like, like, I don't know, to link you to a history of anarchists as Mm -hmm. a movement. And also... (laughs) There is on thecourtjeweler.com an article about Sissy's diamond stars, her Edelweiss that she wore in her hair in several of her famous portraits and photographs and became the fashion for royal women, including Queen Alexandra of England, all over Europe. Um, Everybody wanted diamond stars suddenly because the fashion maven had declared that they were de rigueur. So that's about them. And then also the fan club of a Canadian animated TV series called Princess Sissy. All of the palaces, you can pretty much guarantee you've got tour type situations. The Achilleon is open for tours. Schloss Poffen, I can't say it, is <laughs> Schloss Possenhofen, Posse, you can mm-hmm. see why they called it that, is open for tours. Gödele in Hungary is open. The Hofburg, of course. Of course, Schönbrunn Palace. You get a twofer with regard to uh, Marie Antoinette there. And also, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, the Imperial Crypts in Vienna are someplace you can go to and see 150 Habsburgs that were buried there since the 1600s. Well, you can't actually see them. You'll see their crypt. It's really cool. You know, the, um, the Hofburg has an excellent virtual tour. So since nobody can go anywhere, definitely go check that one out because you can just tour through the palace. And since we are recording this on August 31st, the anniversary of Princess Diana's own death in Paris so many years ago in the 90s, and so many people compare Sissy to Diana I will link you to a town and country series on um, Princess Diana and her life in pictures and how she affected the world. And then Vanity Fair a few years ago did a chart comparing Princess Sissy's life to the life of Princess Diana. So I will provide you with links to that. Excellent. I don't really have anything else. And in closing, a historian named Emil Niederhauser summed up the life of the Empress Elizabeth. Her tragedy was that, for 44 years, she was a ruler of a great European power, but also a partisan of republicanism. She made a love match, but was unhappy all her life because of it. She was expected to fill the role of mother of her peoples, but she could not even be a mother to her own children. 
She wanted to be emancipated as far as the times would allow, but her position made that impossible. She was attracted to many of the ways of a new world, but everybody saw in her the representative of the old ways. Her many good qualities were senselessly wasted. And then her tragic end. Perhaps this is why, in spite of all criticism, this modern woman on a very ancient and dilapidated throne is somehow and forever a winning personality. Thanks for listening. Bye. If you liked what you heard today, please tell a few friends about us or leave a review for us on iTunes. Check out the Pinterest board for Empress Sissy, if you like, or any number of our previous subjects and follow the many rabbit holes you will find there. The songs in the middle are Hungarian Holiday by Fernwood and Hypnotized by the Proper Authorities. And the song at the end is She is Looking for Something by Lynx and Janover. It's... Longer than I usually have the songs, but it really fit my mood today, so I have left the whole thing on there. It's about five minutes long, and there is a little goof at the end if you want to listen to it. See you next time.
You don't want to say goodle? Goodle. Is that you right? did good, yeah. I did good? 